It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network, you're listening to Music City Gold. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. I am your host, Kyle. With me, as always, are my co-hosts, Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. Matt, you seem a little more energetic today. As always, Kyle, I'm ready to talk that hockey. Well, we have a special guest with us today. Joining us is Brian Baston. He is one of the site editors of On the Forecheck, and he has agreed so kindly to join us and talk some Preds hockey. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Like I told you all before, y'all were the first Preds podcast I listened to for the longest time. And so I have to apologize if I'm a little starstruck. (laughs) Oh, no, not (laughs) at all. (laughs) Bro, we're amateurs here. Let's let's be all honest. (laughs) We're all amateurs. That's right. We're all amateurs that people actually like want to listen to. Right. I still don't get it for me. So. So, Brian, I have to ask, how did you find our show originally? Um, I was just looking for, for ones. I, I had listened a little bit to the radio show with Justin, uh, somewhat, but I was looking for something I could listen to on the way into work, my 45 minute drive into downtown. And so y'all, you guys had the one that was updated, you know, that you guys actually continued and, uh, you know, released episodes fairly often. And so, you know, and I liked listening to, cause I also was, you know, hear about the league stuff and yeah, it was just, it's, it was the one that I latched onto because it was the first good one. So I have to have you on more often then. Yeah, I know. High praise for, <laughs> yeah, for such mean, those, an amateur those production other, those, here. Those nerds, uh, uh, you know, the, the stats boys there, they were pretty good too, but they're, they're busy with other things now. So yeah, it was interesting when we first started doing this show, like we had talked hockey occasionally back and forth. And I remember I looked down one day and it's like, why aren't we doing like a little, like a radio podcast show? And mm. I, you're right. When I first started getting this all put together, I noticed there was a lot of shows that would talk about hockey in general or the Preds and they just weren't very updated. So when we started doing this, I was like, guys, we have to be consistent with this. And Mm -hmm. look at this. I would say you're probably one of our MCG alum. You've done just amazing things. You just graduated, man. Let me tell you. Thank you. (laughs) So, I mean, like, here's the deal though. We're, we're just all nerds here. Ryan, I mean, so that's probably one of the reasons why you connected with us. So, I mean, I guess <laughs> just listening to us, you took your love for stats and stuff and you just basically applied it to hockey. So, I mean, this has pr- basically been the perfect marriage for you, correct? It really has. I mean, to be honest, the reason why this even got started was uh, I was trying to convince people at my day job to let us use Tableau. Like the company had a license, but we weren't using it. Um, but since you know, I work in the medical field, I can't really use medical stuff to records and things to practice on. So I just used hockey things because, you know, I, I'd gotten pretty familiar with the Preds at that point, but just not really much about the rest of the league. And so that was kind of my way of, well, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to learn, this will be one way to do it. You know, I think the other way that a lot of people do it is you start playing fantasy hockey and you start to learn about other players, but that's just the way it happened. And then I don't know, it all snowballed from there. Yeah, I did try to do some Tableau myself, and I'm not a math person, so I kind of just gave up on it real quick. (laughs) That was pretty easy. I I highly recommend it. But, uh, you know, I I also recommend that you continue to learn and and try to improve instead of sticking with, like, the same charts you've been using for three years now. So So how did you go from listening to us to actually going to the forecheck? Um, So I think it was about... 
So I, I, I'm going to admit this, and I try to tell everybody, um, I'm one of those awful uh, bandwagon fans that jumped on during the cup run because I'd been here for about a couple of years. Um, my only hockey experience was when I was a kid. Uh, I lived up in North Dakota in Grand Forks, and so I used to go see UND games quite a bit, um, but kind of fell off from hockey almost completely until I'd moved here and I had a, a newborn. And so it was a good way for me to, you know, if I'm sitting in the room with her for three hours, just begging her to go to sleep, it might as well be watching a game on my phone at the same time. And um, I think Sean Smith, another guy at the uh, on the four check, he asked me to help him write something about um, about the Jofa line probably four seasons ago, I guess, um, as a kind of a guest spot. And so him and I kind of collaborated on that and they asked me to come on. And I told them, I said, just let me be the math guy. You don't want to see my writing. And of course, now I'm the site editor, so they didn't they didn't listen. Well, I'll I'll say this: it doesn't matter when you started; it just matters where you finish. So, I mean, just jump on <laughs> when you can. I know we had a ton of bandwagoners come on in that that stretch there, but at the same time, too, that's also when a lot of the the hockey culture was growing around Nashville. To be mm-hmm. honest, so I mean, you're yeah. definitely not <laughs> uh, alone oh, no. in that in that sense. So, uh, I mean, after that cup run, there was plenty of banners, plenty of flags and let me tell you like i have a preds license plate i see that thing everywhere now so oh yeah it's always really great to see you're talking about the last plates and stuff brian did you ever get one of our stickers when we first started giving them out i do it's still sitting oh, uh it's still at my office on my on my desk now is it the circle sticker or was it our original like uh the square rectangle. one yeah I think it was, I think I have a rectangle one somewhere, but I also got a circle one. That's this the one terrible that's in my one. office. This, I literally have one right here and I'm just like, this thing was terrible. Now the circle one, the badge is awesome. So I need to bring mm-hmm. those back for some more stuff. But And so Brian, I know we'll touch about this on the end because of the questions I gave you. I had a couple more at the end that I'm sure you're not aware of yet, but you go from doing spot work at on the four check and some guest work. And now you find yourself as a credentialed media member of the Preds. Like, how did that happen? Um. Well, so. Oh, wow. It, it was crazy. So it took us, I, you know, I won't go too much into the history because I only know some of it, but for a while we didn't, we weren't able to get credentials. Um, it wasn't until I think two seasons, the season starting uh, before, you know, the COVID year um, that we had gotten regained our credentials and they had given us two, one for Sean and, and one for, for Rachel, um, who has done, she always did a tremendous job. But once the COVID year started, uh, she had just had her baby as well. And so she just couldn't, she couldn't do it. Um, and so they asked me to do it since, you know, a lot of good thing about these, these blogs and stuff is that a lot, there's people from all over and there are only a handful of stuff that are actually here in Nashville. And since my office is about six blocks from Bridgestone, it made sense. Um, and, uh, you know, now it's, they just now this season gave us our, our full-time credentials before we'd have to email them, tell them we're coming and we get these little handwritten stickers and stuff. And now I've got one that's got, you know the NHL shield on it and Bridgestone arena. And it, it's still to me does not feel real. So <laughs> it just kind of happened, I guess. I'm not, I mean, I really, I wish I knew, you know, what was the the chain of events, but it's all happened pretty fast. And I say in the last, it's been three, three and a half years, but it's been quite the, the journey from this to, you know, you know, five years ago, not really watching hockey at all. Well, Brian, we, we kind of feel partially responsible for this. I mean, let's just be you honest. Should. I mean, yeah. like, we feel, like, honored, actually. So, I mean, that said, <laughs> no. though, we're going to jump into some Preds talk, which I know you've been waiting for the entire evening. I'm sure you got tons of your stats and Tableau 
charts pulled up. So just to go quickly over where the, the Preds are at right now, they're 12th in the league, 6th in the conference, 3rd mm-hmm. in the division with a 9-6-1 record, a .594, and a goal differential of plus 2. I mean, just looking at the top Preds and points here, so... Is it a little crazy that we have three predators right now at a points per game pace? Uh, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, it, it is. It's because you know, again, it, Nashville has a, a history of of not producing a ton of you know guys scoring a ton of points, especially not goals. But you know, I, I'm not surprised to see uh, Roman Yossi, obviously, just because that's what he does. Is he he just racks up points because the offense runs through him. Um, uh, Mikhail Granlin, I, we saw flashes of it last season. I think he his career got uh, completely rejuvenated by by Coach Hines arriving in town. And then Duchesne, you know, he's been the surprise for everybody. I think even his most passionate defenders, which I was one of them, didn't quite expect this. So uh, it's 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 nice to see at least. You know, I think as maybe a couple games ago, I think before maybe a week and a half ago, I think Granlin was like seventh in the league in points at one point. So. Yeah, he well, that four assist night really helped him. I mean, like, oh, he was yeah. just involved everywhere. But let's park it on Matt Duchesne for just a second. So, I mean, speaking of just production in the last 15, 16 games, I mean, it's been incredible. But obviously, what has started, uh, you know, upticking is the goals. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my argument, this, and I'm sure if you've been listening to our podcast, has been the move to wing has been substantially different for him like he looks more dangerous everything seems to be generating high danger shots he's getting more quality looks he's definitely uh, I've noticed here recently that they definitely like to try to spring him on the rush uh, to try to get those odd man rushes Um, unfortunately he hit the post on the pipe (laughs) on uh, Mm -hmm. in the Toronto game but uh, I mean what do you think has been the main factor with his uptick in goals here recently too Um, I think you know you can kind of compare it to what Ryan Johansson is, how he's used and what he's, what he's done because, you know, prior to, to coming to Nashville, I mean, he was, he was a goal scoring machine. And, you know, when I, when he arrived in Nashville, that all stopped. And I think it was his usage. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to spend too much time on Johansson, but one of his things that he's excelled at, even though his goals haven't is that, you know, he's an excellent distributor. I mean, he's an ex one of the best passers I think on the team. And I still think that's true. Um, and, but, you know, Matt Duchesne came in and he kind of offered a little bit of all of that. And I I think that having him at that center position almost sometimes I think may limit him because, you know, he's having to be the one to kind of facilitate those plays when he was, you know, he's trying to spring a, a Phil Forsberg or Mikhail Granlund or Craig Smith, and, you know, those, those players when he, he had them and he, you know, he's driving the offense, but Nashville hasn't really ever had an offense where it's, they're going to have a dominant center. That's going to be scoring all the points. Um, so I think, you know, moving him to wing allows him to kind of be more of an offensive weapon. And then Mikhail Granlin is is no slouch on his own as far as making plays and, and you know, making passes. And as we see from his what is it, 13 assists this, so far this season, that's I mean, that's kind of what he does. He's a facilitator. And it's I think that's really helped out for him because he's not, you know, Duchesne is given a little bit more freedom out on the wing. Yeah, just to interject on Granlin, Granlin plays the game well. He's one of those down and gritty players, like every aspect. He's always back checking, like he's always seems to be involved. And he's also been key on the penalty kill here recently. So he he's just he's becoming, uh, I dare say, the Cali Yonkrock Swifts. Yeah, sorry, Kyle's looking at me like, no, don't even go there. But yeah, he's he's basically. I'm very hurt that he is gone, but at the same time, he definitely seems to have taken his place. I feel like. 
as a facilitator. Now, mm-hmm. Matt over here has been critical of Matt and also Ryan Johansson because of their big contracts. So I think Matt even brought up, and you can back me up on this one, it's been nice to see the production from both of them coming off of basically almost getting unprotected. I mean, you, you, you basically, Ryan Johansson has a lot to prove this year. But to be fair, right. they kind of were protected because their contracts were so big to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yep, I would agree. Yeah, Matt argued this one until uh, he was blue in the face one day with us in the group chat. But that said, <laughs> um, uh, so Ryan Johansson has started to get this chemistry with a up-and-coming player. And as Matt would say, this might be Tanner Janot, who he just now recognized here recently, <laughs> which we've been yeah, really last, hard on Matt episode, because... I saw. Yeah, he's, uh, he has just now started getting on the Janot train and uh, started seeing his number flash a few times. But what's crazy is the production he's been getting and the line time he's been getting with Ryan Johansson. So, uh, I mean, mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you think about that lineup so far as far as the... Uh, the um, I guess who else did they have on there? Was it Novak at one point? And then I think now yeah, I think it's the they, last game they, they had some time with Grand Wind, and I think they had some time with um, oh, I think it was Jano and, and Tomasino both got a little bit of time with him. I think, yes, yes, they did the some of the rookies, so that's what it was. Uh, I was trying to remember because Tomasino looked a little jittery that last game just because it was a home crowd, but yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. like, so what do you make of? That I mean, you have two rookies basically anchored by a veteran centerman, uh, and obviously, like you can see the chemistry growing. So, is this something that you would expect more from Heinz moving forward? I think, I think with 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 Heinz, I think I've seen because you know a lot of people complain about line blenders and things like that, but he's you know made it pretty clear in a lot of you know media sessions and things that if it's not working in a game, he's not going to hesitate to switch it up because if it's not working, you know. We want to try to find something that is, and that can be to benefit or detriment depending on, you know, the philosophy of the coach. Uh, but you know, if you, you, if you have a guy scoring like Tanner Jadot, you really don't want to mess with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm again, I'm also very surprised because I mean, he's undrafted. He's just kind of popped out of nowhere, even in Milwaukee, you know, not a lot of people kind of picked him out to be like, Oh, this is going to be the next guy. Um, but you know, if you're coming in and you just keep producing, you're going to keep producing. You don't want to take that away from him. And I think Tanner Janot is, is wasted on the fourth line. Um, but yeah, if it works, I mean, I have no problem with that. I think, like I said before, Johansson and Duchesne's game fits together really well. Um, I think that both of them being, you know, both of the, neither of them are having to play as a true center as far as responsibility, I think. And I think that's working to both their benefits. And so you can plug in a third guy, whether it be Janot or Phil Forsberg or Mikhail Granlund, and it works very, very well. Yeah, just to circle back to Duchesne, I actually saw an interview with Heinz here recently, and he was talking about basically the honest conversations that he had with Duchesne in the offseason, which uh, was kind of refreshing. It seemed both of them had an honest conversation, like, what do I need to do and what do I need to do? You know, on both ends, like kind of, I guess mm-hmm. like Duchesne actually went to him and was like, hey, you know, the system's different. Like, you know, it, you don't know exactly what's going behind the closed door. But that said, they said they basically said, made an agreement, like I'm going to hold up my end of the bargain and I'm and you're going to hold up yours. And they both did. And that's what Heinz said at the, this year, you're seeing basically the fruition of that conversation and just being honest with each other, which I was like, that's actually pretty refreshing one. And two, like the fact that both of them 
set out to do exactly what they said in the meeting and it is coming true, that is a very mm-hmm. good sign for things moving forward and under Hines' system because there's been a lot of criticism. Matt will be one of the first, like when he first got here, it just seemed like the offensive production was very uh, lackluster. You know, you're trying to develop this new system with a bunch of players that were just ingrained in lobbies. I mean, mm-hmm. really was. So are we now starting to see that because of all the new players? So you have this, you know, this influx of young talent, which we've been wanting, but also at the same time, too, they haven't been ingrained in, in Lavi's system. So I, I did want to point that out, that I was very pleased, you know, hearing that conversation because, like, even the veterans now are starting to click in this new system. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. And again, like you said, it, took, it takes time to, to get, you know, break players of habits. You know, they, a lot of them have played for Lavi Lep for large chunks of their careers. And, you know, they have they just the offense runs a little bit different and you see it and it didn't happen overnight, which I think people were expecting. Uh, I'm not going to say that I wasn't guilty of the same thing, but you know, it, it's taken its time. We're seeing it. I mean, we're looking at the power play. We're looking at just the amount of, of movement in front of the net. We're seeing, you know, they're, they're setting screens with guys that aren't, you know, my height, five, six, five, seven, like uh, Victor Arvidsson. And they're, you know, moving the puck in, in in the high danger areas. It's something that we didn't really see at all. And I think we're starting to see some of the fruits of that. And, you know, also with, with free agents coming in, I think a lot of the, a lot of it was when they would bring in free agents previously with Laviolette, it was, okay, here's our system. You need to fit yourself into this. And here, I think I'm seeing a lot more of, here's the strength these players have. What can we do to accommodate that while keeping our system intact? And that's the big difference that I'm seeing. Yeah, and and we would be completely remiss. These last several games, like, let's be honest, Soros has been absolutely incredible. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I mean, like, just that last game alone against Toronto, like, they owed him a steak dinner. Like, he oh, yes. he, he, uh, he needed a chiropractor visit for, for carrying the team to the third period like he did. Um, I mean, honestly, he's coming out very strong. 0.928 save percentage, 2.17 goals against, which is fairly low for those 13 games, and considering it didn't start very well those first five or six games. So he's really turning on his game here, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's been, I mean, again, like a lot of people are worried because he, you know, his kind of the stigma with him was that he started season slow. And honestly, it's hard to blame him because, you know, he wasn't the full time starting go- goaltender. And so when you, when you have a bad game, you know, I think a lot of goaltenders want to just get back out there and get another one so they can work on what they, they uh, weren't doing well at. And you see this with Soros. He had a bumpy first couple of games, but he's, he's rounded back in. I mean, he's, um, I'm trying to think he's 11, he's 12th in, in save percentage. He's, I think eighth in goals, uh, goal saved above average, which is a stat I don't really care for, but it helps. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, 11th and you know goals scored above expected which I, I saved above expected sorry that you know he's and that kind of is a reflection of the team you know the team is he's having to face a lot and he's having to face a lot of high danger you look at a heat map from that toronto game and it's just Ooh. lit up like a christmas tree right in front of him and the fact that he only gave you know two goal give up two goals which i believe that's um, I think eight out of the last 12, 12 or I believe yeah, something yeah. Like the eight out of the last 12 games that he's given up two or less or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's pretty Ma- incredible. Matthews was even coming up to him. There's video of it online. I don't know if you saw this, but literally he comes mm-hmm. up to him and he's like, he says something and Saros is just smiling. Like, yeah, I know. I mean, like and the Toronto media, even right. here's the deal because the Toronto media even 
was gushing over Soros after that one, but still, oh yeah. The problem is though. All right, the well, Preds. let me uh, let me bring you guys down a pig now. Everybody's everything's happy, hunky dory. We're all over Matt Duchesne and uh, and UC Soros. Everybody's having a good time. Preds are playing great. Oh, Tanner Janot. All right, well. That sounds good. We're living in La La Land, boys. I want to, I got it. You know me, I'm kind of negative. I got to bring us back down a peg. So I really want to talk about the burning questions. We're kind of beating around the bush here. So UC Soros looked great against Toronto, but the Preds got blanked in that Toronto game. So uh, I wonder if you have any insight, Brian, as to is this the real Predators we're seeing? Are they, are they, uh, not deep enough in scoring? Is it just they're really bad about, did Toronto just have the magic key to shut them down or? What kind of insight do you have for the Preds' performance that seemed to be out of the norm lately uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, well, I mean, one, playing the the Coyotes always helps. Um, <laughs> but but two, I think I think we do we 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 saw the real Predators against Toronto, but we've been seeing them and even in their during their winning streak, and it's because the Predators have are one of those teams. I think that they're pretty close to the top as far as they play low event hockey. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. we're not seeing the shot counters going up into the thirties and forties and they are, you know, the, because it's Nashville, it's built around the defenseman and the goaltending. You know, they work on limiting the amount of opportunities that the other team gets, but they're just not necessarily, you know, unless you have a Roman Yossi or a Matt Duchesne to carry that puck in and, and try to get something in transition, it's difficult to get set up. You know, it's something that's been a problem for a long time. And, yeah, they've been doing very well. You know, when you play the the Minnesotas or the Dallas's of the world, and you can get those teams to play at your level, and you know they're struggling to create shots. It, it's 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 hard. You know, it's hard for them to play against a team like the Predators, where they're going to be very opportunistic when they do get their chances. When you have Toronto, for example, though, you, you've got star power. You've got guys who have you know they're they can score goals. They've got tons of goal scorers, and I think watching that first period and a half or so Nashville tried very hard to get Toronto to play their style of hockey and Toronto was just, we're, we're too good for that. We can't, we can't do it. And so, you know, that's where I think, you know, it's kind of about what this team is, you know, it's, they've had a little bit of, of, of shooting luck, something that they haven't had, you know, very much in, in recent years. Um, you know, there's, I think Duchesne, I think before last game was sitting at something like 18%, which is, you know, we all know that's not um, something you can hold on to, but, I think that they're getting those bounces and they're playing excellent defense. But when you come against a team like a Carolina or Toronto or Edmonton um, with, with a Connor McDavid and dry the Preds killer um, it's, you can't, you know, it's, you have to do more, you know, you can try to do everything you can to limit those guys. But when they've got that talent, when they've got that, you know, that something, you know, that, that unquantifiable, you know, statistic of just, you know, they can score goals. It's, you know, you have to be able to, to, to fight back against that. And sometimes you have to have an offense that can be fast and can score goals. And that's just not really how Nashville is, is built. Um, they're doing all right, but depth is depth's a little bit of an issue. Yeah. In, intangibles was the word you were looking there for, Brian. Yeah, Those intangibles, law, right? a.k.a. Alexi Amlin, a.k.a. you know Cody McLeod back in the day. Those intangible players. Nope, get out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I'd say that it's quite intangibles. It's not the same kind, at least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, Brian, you're talking about death earlier at the end of that question. Would it be possible to see Rocco Grimaldi come up in, into the lineup? Because for the last couple of seasons, Rocco was just you know killing it. And then he just kind of disappears and he's now back in the AHL. Yeah. I mean, I think I was a little surprised that he didn't get claimed, but I think that 
I think what he just signed that two year, $2 million contract, you know, for, for him to be there. So maybe people thought it wasn't worth the risk, but he he's always been a bit of a streaky player. And the, the I'm going to make a comparison that may not entirely be fair, but uh, he rem- there's there's certain aspects of his game that remind me of of Kevin Fiala when he was here because and no obviously the talent level is just completely it's not even close but you know Kevin Fiala was a guy who could score on fast breaks he was you know he's got tons of skill um he just happened to hit his ceiling here in Nashville but you would see things where he'd try to rush in you know he'd carry that puck in because there's very few people in the league better than carrying the puck in than than Fiala but as soon as a defenseman would just muscle him up against the boards, there was nothing he could do. You know, he would try to play a lot, like have that game of like Phil Forsberg, where he has that mix of of technical skill and and power, and he couldn't do that. And I see that a lot with Rocco Grimaldi is you know when he's on those fast breaks, he's scoring, and that's that's fantastic. But again, you know, a guy my height, my size, you know, he's going to get knocked off the puck. And I think the thing that really kind of pushed it the other way is that you know I can tell that there's a emphasis for John Hines. He wants those players that are playing both both ends of the ice well. And that was something that Rocco Grimaldi was has struggled with since he's been in Nashville. He's just not a defensive guy. Um, and I think that's kind of where, you know, the fact that he wasn't you know, he was benched for a while and he's come in for games and and then had another streak of being benched. I think Milwaukee's, you know, one, they can definitely use him right now. But two, I think that's going to help him because I don't think they want to get rid of him i think you know there are plenty of other players that are kind of not performing at the the level we thought they would but they still manage to start every game and so i think that's just one of those where he'll come back in i think if they need that spark if there's injuries but you know you've got your top six and there that's that's doing a lot of your scoring and i don't you know he doesn't slob into any of those spots so do you put him on the herd line or you know do you put him with with Nick Cousins and, and guys like that, where those, those checking lines, he doesn't kind of fit in there either. And so I think that's a, it just didn't really have a good spot for him when you have guys like Janot playing as well as they are. Were you su- surprised that he cleared waivers? I mean, like no other team wanted to pick up him and his offensive upside, especially at his cap hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it's not bad. I mean, I think the cap hit would be prorated and he is a guy you can just insert in, especially at teams that have injuries. I was kind of surprised he didn't get picked up, but I, I think it worked out for Nashville's advantage. You know, it's, I, I really did think he's just one of those guys that you see, you know, as a, even as a casual fan, you see a guy like that go on the waivers and you're like, Oh, let's get him. Let's go get him. You know, knowing that he's probably good for seven or eight goals for the rest of this year, but someone, and I'm very surprised that he didn't get picked up. Yeah, well, and speaking about losing players, there's one player's contract that is looming large in the Predators mm-hmm. organization, and you already kind of know where I'm going with this, and that has to be Philip Forsberg. So the rumor has it out there that his contract should be similar to Landis Gogg's eight-year, $7 million deal, um, currently on a six-by-six. He is mm-hmm. injury-prone. He's currently sitting on the bench right Very now. Very much so. I mean, like, this is one thing that he has missed at least, uh, I believe the stat was, like, 15 games in the last four, like, in each season for the last four years. Um, mm-hmm. That's significant. I mean, I think I even brought up, too, like, uh, you know, a healthy Forsberg has probably broken the franchise goal record by now, and Arvidsson probably does not set it, <laughs> honestly, a few right. years ago. But that said, is it worth the risk to do another long-term 
maybe six year, eight, uh, maybe up to an eight year contract. Cause I guarantee you that's what is it. <laughs> yeah. Matt's already given us the thumbs down over here. We know how Matt likes those long-term contracts. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's just like there's you obviously see the offensive upside, but where do you think the team is at currently with Forsberg? I mean, I think that he's a he's a guy that I I think David Poyle would probably be one of he's he wants to get him back and keep him in Nashville, you know, for this contract. I don't see them entertaining any offers for a seven or eight year deal. For you know, for anywhere you know above five, which he's not going to get five, and that's that's what's fair, really. But you know, I don't I don't think that they're going to. I think there's too many. They, they've got to pay for they've got to pay Kyle Turris for the next I don't, I don't know ten years. It feels like, um, and so I think they've learned a little bit of their lesson with that. And then you you combine with Johansson and Duchesne's contracts, um, they've been very. I you gotta give them credit. I hated it at the time, but. Dumping PK Subban's contract was was a smart move when it was, and I think that they're shying away from from that. Um, you know, I, I really do. I don't. I don't think that it's going to be a a contract negotiation where they're going to tell his agent that he, you know, this is what we're going to give you, and otherwise we're walking away. Because I don't think they want to, because he's in a lot of ways kind of still the the, the heart and soul of this team. You know, just for who who Nashville Predators are, who you think of, you know, now that there's no Pecorine, you have Roman Yossi. But if you're thinking of a forward, I mean, I still consider like Forsberg to be the guy at forward. Um, and so I don't know that, you know, if the sticking point is term, I think that that's going to really tilt the scales toward them not not re-signing him. Mm-hmm. Um, Which honestly but, you know, will break I, my heart yeah, if they don't ahead. sign him. Yeah, it would break a lot of people's hearts, Kyle. Go ahead, Brian. It'll break mine. It'll break my heart for sure. Like I, I hate talking like this because I don't want it to happen. I'm like, give him whatever he wants, just let him stay. It, you know, but it, it's one of those that I think that they know. And and you know, we all have joked about the whole what was the term that Poyle used? It wasn't a rebuilding year, it was a competitive rebuild, I think. Competitive retool, something to that effect. But I mean, it that's kind of what we're seeing. And I don't think that they are ready to, you know, lock up another veteran player to a long-term deal like that, especially with injury history. I mean, his last full season was the Stanley cup run. And yeah. so, you know, and, and again, some of those years, a couple of those years weren't his fault. I mean, I, I remember, you know, he, he had some suspensions for that hip check on the Jimmy. Butt Vesey, check. Which, the butt yeah, check. Yeah. I mean man. the butt that's right. Um, but you know, a guy like that though, he is a, he's a t- excellent two way player. I mean, he, he's, that's one of the things that carried that Jofa line for so long because it wasn't Johansson and Arvidsson that were providing too much defense on that line. You know, it was it was Forsberg getting back and and doing what he can. And you know, he does things that nobody else on the team could do as well. So well, he fits. I, I'm he glad fits I'm not Poyle, That's for sure. He fits Heim's scheme, like you said. He wants two way players. Like that's why Rocco's gone. Well, Forsberg mm-hmm. is that two way player. So now I have a question for everybody. Just putting everybody on the spot here. Two two questions for each of us. What do you think the probability is that Forsberg is re-signed? And then what is your fair term and dollar value? Because uh, when we were going over this, actually, because Matt did not believe me that he had a higher points per game average than Landis Cog, and he actually does. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was like 0.75 to 0.77. I can't remember, but the the fact of the matter is that's why it was a comparable to him. So starting with Kyle, what I'm putting you on the spot. What do you think is the probability that they resign? And what do you think is fair? I think they will sign because he is one of the faces of okay. the franchise. 
And I think they'll probably end up signing him for probably six years at seven million each. Six years at seven mil each. Ooh, okay. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, that sounds about right. But I'd kind of like to focus on the the probability of him leaving. We know that since Arvidsson left, he has been pretty vocal. And, and, you know, you can interpret things. Social media is hard that way. You can interpret things a lot of different ways. And in my mind, I interpret Joe uh, Forsberg's uh, disappointment and, and kind of disdain at the moment. I interpret that as him being a flight risk to leaving the team. So I think if he doesn't get whatever the sticking point is, the term or the number, if he doesn't get it to his liking, I think he's probably going to try to test the market and go somewhere else to see if he can get it somewhere else because he's kind of already maybe halfway out the door. Maybe not. It might have just been a temporary thing of one situation. It might not be uh, you know, an overarching theme, uh, but it, it is definitely questionable. Brian, what do you think? Oh, I think that if they can get him re-signed during the season, um, you know, I think, I mean, that's going to be their big thing. If they don't do that, I think there's probably a good 50-50 split that he yeah. does it because, you know, uh, teams are willing to pay for a guy like him and they're willing to give him a longer term contract because they're, you know, they don't have two $8 million contracts sitting on their, on their books. Well, I mean, three technically with Yossi, but we're getting our money's worth out of that. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that if they, they're going to probably work really hard now that Eckholm's deal is, is done, I think they're yeah, going to work real hard to point. get him so he doesn't have to hit the market because... I can, you know, I can probably think of maybe four or five teams that'd be willing to shell out whatever he wants to give him something. But I think that if they do, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not too far off from what you guys have said. I'd say I'd give him, I'd even offer maybe five years, but get offer him 7.5 or eight. I mean, I think that's about as long term as I would go. I give him his money, but not the term. That That's what I was going to say is I think for me, the term would, I would like to see five just because of the injury prone and then still buck up a little bit. 7.5, eight, that's not going to kill you given an extra 500 uh, mil, you know, per year in the long run, you know, as right. the cap does technically, we should be going up in space, you know, flat cap this year, whatever. Um, that said though, you brought up the Ekholm thing. I think that was also a major plus for trying to get him uh, back. He also has been basically, you know, he, he's been a pred. Let, let's just be honest. Does mm-hmm. he want to go to another team? Probably not. He's been in Nashville basically his entire adult life. And so, he is the player that I so, identify with. Yes. Like when he, I got into hockey, Forsberg was the one who drew me to the team. Yes. No, he was definitely that first almost like almost like star talent you know like scoring wise we we wanted Radulov but you know um that all got <laughs> squ- squandered away but that said i i think he has a lot of ties here i know like i think his girlfriend who he just got engaged to like she wants to be a country music singer too so like there's other ties that are pulling him here but at the end of the day if they don't sign him in this middle of the season like you said it scares me to death because there are going to be teams with cap space that are just going to be like, oh yeah, we'll give you 8.5 or 9 or whatever it is and just give you the term. But, um, man, it, it is going to be really sketchy. And with this injury now, that only complicates things in my mind because now you're not getting the production. So, like, you know, there's like these bargaining tools <laughs> that the GM DP will have to go to his agent over. And it's like, I mean, at some point he does have to bring up his injury proneness wouldn't you think matt i mean yeah and, and another aspect is, you know we're not privy to because we're not privy to the conversations that happen behind closed doors but players don't like to go uh be in the last year of their deal without a new contract on the way definitely not in the off season so i think it might be quite telling as far as the relationship where where he's at with the front office 
how long this goes before he gets the deal done. Because I think as the season progresses, if, if he doesn't get one, you know, before, you know, maybe the all-star break or so, I think that might be kind of showing that the relationship's on the ropes and we don't know if we're going to get it done. And then the player gets frustrated and, and isn't comfortable with that. So he wants to test out somewhere else. I, I mean, I don't know. There's still, we don't know yet. Would you say the injury though helps our case to keep him or hurts? I think it helps. I agree. Way. I agree. It helps, it helps other teams not want to buy him because his stock is weak right now because yeah, of that. that. So that's what I was thinking. Like it, it, And kind of like to your point, if you're a player wanting to know that you're going to get that contract, that next big contract, if they came to him and said, yeah, here, here despite even, we're going to give you the contract despite knowing the last four seasons you've missed 15 plus games. Yeah, like this but, is where we're at. But it could go the other way because if I'm GMDP, this is still kind of a show me year for the Preds. We don't know where we're at as an organization mm-hmm. if we're buying or selling. So you could say, well, now is a good time to get him off my plate and I can sell him at a bit of a bargain if I'm really trying to offload him. Now, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. see GMDP wanting to sell him for like a 20% discount. I'm just saying it makes it more available for teams that might not be able to afford Forsberg on a full cap hit where he usually would command. Uh, I mean, that was my point, I think, last episode. I mean, like, I guess the factor, the main factor is going to be where are we at in the middle of the season? Like, are we still on the verge of making the playoffs? Like, are we trying to go ahead and dump his contract to get those assets for, I mean, because like my whole thing is if you know he's walking away, you want to trade him to get those assets, especially the next draft year. It's a hot draft year coming up. You want to get those first round picks. So, man, there's just so many factors into this one that is, it's just going to be super, super juicy to watch basically by the middle of, uh, of the year. And then with the Preds rebounding like they have in this, this road trip, I mean, now we're right in the thick of things. So it's kind of like you're right in the middle. Well, yeah. So mm-hmm. let's go ahead and transition now. Let's uh, let's talk about Ely Tolvin and kind of segues in this conversation very nicely because, uh, you know, he's been my boy uh, lately. I, I was really hyping him. And I just saw that this guy from The Athletic put him in an article called The All-Month Disappointment Team, uh, Ely Tolvin. And so... Tolvanen, he's a 22-year-old, and last year he was on pace for 20 goals and uh, 40 points. And this year he's got only one goal and is riding the pine bench on the fourth line. So as far as figuring out where the Preds are, this is another key asset. you got to figure out where your pieces are. So what's been going on with E. Tolvanen lately? Oh, I think that so there's a couple of things. He's, he's an odd case. I mean, I, I know that part of it is, again, like I you know, said before about, you know, where do you fit a guy in the top six like Rocco Grimaldi? It's it's been harder to find him. I think he's he's one of the most he still is one of the most dangerous players on, on the power play, even if he's not scoring those goals that they have to respect him. You see the entire defense shift to go his direction. That's why part of the reason why he's not getting that many goals on the power play, because they will shift two got two or three guys right in front of him as soon as he touches the puck. Um, you know, he's he's still finding that, you know, his, his rhythm, I think offensively, but I will say this, and I think that this is the key difference between a guy like him and Rocco Grimaldi is he's been almost, I mean, he's been pretty outstanding defensively. He's been a guy that, you know, I've had several people, people I, I really like friends uh, that, that are writers and things like that, that were like, he's just a one trick pony. He's just a shot and nothing else. And I think the last two seasons have proved that's not at all. I mean, I, I, at games, the thing I noticed the most about Ali Tolbinen is he is in there. He forechecks harder than 
pretty much anybody on this team. I mean, he's, you know, usually like top three or four in hits, which is still like, I'm just kind of like, Ellie, you don't have to do that. Like you can, you don't have to hit people. It's fine. But he's, he's in there and he's, he's a guy that's fighting for pucks and things like that. And I think that's the difference is that his offensive production maybe may have just dropped off a cliff, but he's still producing and playing well. And that's why, you know, they can put him on the fourth line rather than sending him down to Milwaukee because, you know, I'm not sure what else he's going to be able to work on to, to get his skill set better in Milwaukee rather than just getting that time here. And I think we'll start to see him, you know, he's had some really good chances and I think that he, we're going to start to see him pick up in his goal scoring again, but you know, he's what, he's not very old either. I mean, he's 22 years old, which is crazy to me still, but you know, he's, he's got some time I mean, he, him and Tomasino, we haven't heard them making a ton of noise, but they're still filling, you know, vital roles and they're getting their time. They're not really missing games. So I think that, you know, he continues to play and be that all around player, something that Hines really emphasized with him, you know, right when he started was that having Tolvin and be a guy that's not more than just a shot. And I think that we'll see that coming up, but you know, if you're not producing, you're going to be down there on the bottom six and that's just where he, where he is now. Yeah. Two things, actually the other night after the, I think it was the coyote game. Uh, Coach Hines was actually asked about this, about, basically Tolvanen's production and he even backs up what you were saying basically he was saying like yeah he's getting the shots and the looks and stuff it's not going in but he wants them to keep shooting and everything but he has been playing the game well like his whole thing is like he is a complete player and that goes back to like having the two-way player where he still is playing really good on defense and he's still physical and he's still trying to get in there and win those puck battles so he's doing all the right things in coach's eyes and he just thinks at some point that those chances are going to start falling for him in the season. Um, and he even apparently talked to Tolvanen even after the game about it. Like he, he is basically just backing, uh, reinforcing his mentality with him. Like keep taking your shots, keep taking your chances. But to your point too, Brian, in that game, he had a primary assist on Yossi's power play goal. And like you said, as soon as he got the puck, basically the entire defense just shifted because they were like, oh, here comes a shot. And he makes a quick pass over and then Yossi just rockets one in the back of the net. And Yossi was obviously on fire that uh, that game. But I also think having him on the power play this year and knowing that he's a dangerous threat has allowed Yossi to score a lot of those power play goals because you've seen an uptick in Yossi's power play goals as well. So I, I think that is a huge key part of the power play getting a boost this year, regardless of his production coming up, Matt. Like I know you, I know you want to see the the tea time goal and lighten it up. He's got his Golvenin shirt over here, ready to rip, whip out. But <laughs> that said, I, I I think he's doing the right things. I mean, uh, wouldn't you agree, Matt? That you've seen him be pretty physical. I mean, yeah, I, I, his play has looked good. Like you know, it's kind of odd to not see him on the score sheet, but. Uh, yeah, he's he's been making it count as far as the eye test is concerned. It's not all about uh, points and assists and goals. Sometimes it's about being a junkyard dog, making the plays happen in areas that not everybody's as keen to observe. And I think uh, if you're keen to look at him, I think you'll observe that in his play. Uh, another thing about him, I mean, again, to back this up, and I don't want to try not to rattle off numbers because it's it's just, uh, you know, in, a, in an audio medium, it's not great. But, you know, if you look at something like a defensive measure, something like a, like expected goals against, because, again, we can't we can't really blame players for, you know, the goals that go in when they're on the ice all the time. because It's not always going to be their fault. But I mean, the top four for that stat is Forsberg, Duchesne, Matt Benning, which still gets me, and then Ellie Tolvanen. And, you know, if you want something that's a little more traditional, uh, he leads the team in, in 
what the save on ice save percentage is when he's on the ice. I mean, it's on ice save percentage for him is 96.4%. So he's doing something right. You know, whether that's him helping, you know, by possessing the puck and taking shots or playing defensively, he's, he's doing all of those little things. And with a guy like him with that skill, I mean, again, you look at his shot, there's, you can't really say that a guy with a shot like that is not going to find his rhythm again. I just, I can't, see that happening so I, I think that you know it's just the offense has got i'd much rather be in this position where he is struggling a little bit offensively but he's playing a complete game rather than him being a one-trick pony now tell me your thoughts about roman yossi because our captain besides having great hair it's very <laughs> possible he is a front runner in may just may and i think it's early to predict but he could possibly win the norse again this year what do you think about the odds on that Oh, I, I think he's playing this season like he's proven two things. That one is that his contract is worth it. And two, he's not happy with one Norris trophy. Um, he's playing just phenomenal hockey. I mean, he's he's not quite at the level he did when he won the Norris a couple years back. But I mean, he's he's I mean, he's just a beast. I mean, nobody comes even close. If you, you know, looking at some of the guys who do like the hand track stats where they're tracking like, you know, tertiary assists and carry ins and things like that, you know, most people have to adjust their graphs to include Roman Yossi in it because he's so far off. I mean, I think him and like Adam Fox, you know, are just guys that are, they're in a class all by their own and a guy that can move the puck for you and carry the puck in, keep possession and, you know, if he decides to drive it in, which I really wish he would do a lot more, he's a, a legitimate scoring threat. And you, we saw in that game, you know, that the goal you were talking about with Tolvin and I mean, that shot will still go in sometimes. And, you know, I'd, I'd love it if he didn't take so many of them. But, you know, you have to respect a guy like that. And he's I can't I mean, if they, if they season ended today, I know for I could almost guarantee he'd be a finalist, I think. Yeah, I mean, he he's literally leading the league. I, I can't. What's the current update of stats? Is he still leading? He's still I, I leading. believe. Okay, because I couldn't tell after the the game. Sometimes well, it takes I, them I checked, a while. I checked this morning before we started when I was yeah. getting the notes together, and I was like, I want to make sure. And then sure enough, as yeah. of this morning, he was still leading. Well, you know how NHL stats they're they're it usually takes by the morning to update everything. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, he's he's tied with Adam Fox in sixteen points for yeah. defensemen. Uh, he's got more goals than Adam Fox, six to four. So I mean, yeah, no, he he's right in the thick of it. And like you said, all the advanced metrics are still pointing towards him. And, and like. The funniest part is, too, and I have to interject this, Ellie Tolvanen, after the, uh, I think he had four points that night against the um, uh, the Coyotes, yeah, and the guy Coyotes. just lit him up. Uh, I mean, Tolvanen literally was like, I wouldn't want to defend him. Like, I, I mean, literally, like, he's a defense man, and he's playing like a winger. And, like, I mean, Tolvanen even is respecting it. Like, you know, like, this dude... This dude can really create offensive chances, and he he's a crafty player. Just looking at him, like he he definitely has that blade edge skill where you're just like it's almost deceptive. You know uh, what does uh, Willie Donick call him? Like the night crawler, or no? It's Chris yeah. Mason. It's Chris Mason. Yeah, it's night crawler. Yeah, yeah. night crawler. Because Matt always shakes his head to, when when we're watching the games together, and he brings that up. But that said, he really is everywhere on the ice, and he's generating a lot of that offensive potential this year. But uh, I do think, like I said, just circling back, it, it, some of his production has been because other players have been playing the roles that they need to this year as well, um, including Matt Duchesne and Ryan Johansson. You know, that that's basically your power play unit, you know, if you think about it. So that said, it has been definitely nice to, uh, to see him in the talks again. But like, are they really going to give him another trophy though, Matt? Because Matt has been all over this about 
basically it being your due season for a trophy. Uh, when this was going back to the Carlson and the the Yossi debate, the year that he actually won, where basically Yossi definitely had all the metrics to win, but Carlson was the front runner because of points and because he hadn't gotten it before everyone was leaning or thinking that Carlson was going to win. So what do you think about that, Matt? Like, uh, you can know, you give it to him twice. I mean, yeah, the problem is, so no, there's not been a back-to-back winner since like 07. There's been like 15 years ago. And, but the problem is the two best defensemen right now are Yossi and Fox. And those were the last two winners. So I mean, there you go. It, but <laughs> again, you know, there again, there's not been a guy to win it uh, in his third year uh, after winning it since, you know, another 15 years ago or so. so I, I don't know. I, I don't really see. I would say I don't see Yossi getting it back to back. What I don't see is Fox getting it back to back. I see Yossi getting it ahead of that just because there hasn't been a back to back winner in so long. I would really, ideally, I don't know, look at the stats. I think it'd be a, it should be a third party candidate, but none of them jump out to me. The ones that did, like like Jordan or Hedman, he already won it a couple Kirk, years ago. Shattenkirk is maybe, coming up. Maybe he's, cre- he's creeping up, and yeah. then you never can c- count out Hedman. You know, yeah. like, because if they turn it on all of a sudden, yeah, like, the problem then, is, it's the conversation we had, uh, what was, I guess, two years ago. It was like, yeah, Yossi's had a really hot start to the season, but then at the end of the year, somebody else, uh, I forget who it was, was catching up to him, like, oh, he's really outpacing him. So the, the season's still young. So there's a lot of hockey left, but I mean, Yossi, again, has had a great hot start to the start, start of the season, at least to begin with. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you're talking about a point. Yeah, so I, it's really, I was, I was thinking the same exact thing. I was trying to think, you know, there's got to be somebody else we're not thinking of. That's, but I mean, like you just looking at points. I mean, I don't. I mean, the the man's already had two four game, four point games this season, and that's he's uh, he's had four his entire career. I mean, he's not slowing down. He's getting better. And and the thing that that you know, even in his Norris year, that I was skeptical about was, you know, yeah, he's a point scorer. He's an offense guy, but you know, can he back it up defensively? And that, I mean, that's, I think that's what separated him in the North year was that he was back backing it up defensively. And we've seen it, you know, he's carried two essentially rookies this season in, in Dante Fabro and, uh, and Carrier and elevated both of their games when he was paired with them. It's, you know, you look at a guy like that and it's hard to not, to not vote for him. I mean, he's still the best skater, I think on the team by a large margin and what he can do with the puck is just fantastic. Yeah, I think the other guy who might be a dark horse for me, I think it was John Carlson a couple of years ago that was it was trying to edge out Yossi is who it was. So you might see his name slip up here too. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but let me sidebar topic here for a minute. We all know, you know, hockey is well and good, but it's uh, it's a full course meal here in, in hockey. So it's not just about the players on the ice. So we know that you cover the Preds. So is there anything we know, like Justin Bradford likes his different arena foods. <laughs> is there anything part about uh, being a Preds media pool member that uh, you really like about the scrums or any kind of moments that stick out to you that maybe we don't get to see that's that's off ice necessarily? Um, you know, we're not back in the locker rooms yet doing that stuff. Um, and to be honest, I'm frankly terrified of that, but, <laughs> um, I, it's going to be great. But I, I think one of my favorite things is, you know, cause I split time for home games, you know, to go, uh, every other week or so there, thereabouts. But, oh, uh, I think the other day, I think it was after, I can't remember which game it was. They all run together in my head now, but I was sitting there and, and asking Phil Forsberg a question sitting right there in the front row and just calling him Phil. Uh, Cause they used to they'd make fun of me last season for calling them all like, you know, like coach and stuff like that. Like, no, you just talk to them like they're people. Um, and I had gotten a notification, I think 
a couple hours before the game that was like the end of like the four year anniversary of a time where I had taken my daughter, my, uh, my oldest daughter to uh, some store here in Nashville to meet him and UC Soros. And like, it was the same day. And four years later, I was sitting there talking to him and asking him questions. And he, you know, he's like, Oh, thanks, Brian. And like, you know, that's, I, that's still maybe just the, the novice in me at doing this, but it's still like to have them ask them a question and have them answer you is just unbelievable. Um, the other thing, as far as arena food goes, because I haven't gotten to do too many away games yet, um, I, I'm that I'm that guy that when second intermission they bring us all Hunt Brothers pizza into the media room, and I, I'm that guy that, that eats two or three of them by that point in time. It's just you know it's 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 pizza. It's not anything special, but you know having the free food and not having to pay to go to a game is always is pretty nice. <laughs> Yeah, everything else being considered pizza is a good time. I myself am a pizza aficionado as well, so it definitely could be worse. You feed me with pizza and I'm good to go for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I would finger a little bit if somebody like Philip Forsberg was like, hey, good question, Kyle. Thank you. I get home and be like, oh, God, oh. It's, it's hard to not think <laughs> in those moments. It really isn't. It's so difficult. You're like blushing in the audience. Yeah. And they're like, are you talking is to it me? really warm in here? But no, Brian's just uh, taking speaking, his first speaking question. Of that, let me tell you, the, the, the biggest one of those moments I ever had was I, I sat and got to talk when we were last season was all Zoom calls and they didn't even turn our cameras on for them, you know, which was a great idea because half the time I was in no condition to be seen. But uh, it was right after uh, Roman Yossi won the Norris and we sat, you know, we did the media call and there's a bunch of people from the NHL. There's people from the athletic, there's people from like sports illustrated, you know, all those outlets that are only around every once in a while. And, you know, we had our video on and I, you know, I asked him a question. He's like, Oh, thanks, Brian. That's like, that's a great question or something. And I was just like, that's Roman Yossi. And he just, you know, and it's, I think it was, he was in Switzerland. So it was, you know, pretty late at night for him when that announcement happened and of course just the man looked impeccable he's wearing that sweatshirt which you'd think okay he slummed down no no still just looked impeccable as he always model. yeah we know and that was the moment i was like oh boy <laughs> yeah you just gave me a shout out in front of literally sports center you know all the big name magazines and uh, that's mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy so i guess to tie a bow on this episode which has been absolutely phenomenal so far is what do y'all think is Heinz report card so far? I mean, this is kind of a juicy topic that we haven't touched on in a bit because now that, you know, we've kind of got a little bit more of his style and more of his system and we've kind of seen some more games this year. He's had a full camp this year. You got to think this is, I think this is the first time he's had one. Correct me if I'm wrong. Anybody? No, this is the first is time the first he's camp. had a full development camp. Yeah. He has a COVID. So this is a full year of that. Um, I mean, you're talking a hundred games now with Nashville. So let's go around and grade the higher really quick. So Kyle, where are we at? What do you think? Oh, Matt's already like giving him the glare. So let, let's see where you at. The first thought that comes to my mind is a C plus or a B minus. Only because it's a hundred games and I still feel like we can see more out of him and better, better utilization of the players. Yeah, I'll give him a C minus. I'm a bit of a C minus. Okay, yeah. why? Why though? Like, what? What's backing that up? Well, I wasn't a fan of the hire to begin with. Uh, I think he's kind of turned it around. I I don't know if I attribute that to the coaching style, like moving the uh, moving uh, what's his face to the wing that that's helped out the team and in, in putting players in positions where they're more successful. I don't know if you call that good on the players or good on the coach. So. Either way, I mean, a rising tide raises all ships, they say, so the team's playing better, so you tend to think of the coaches a little better now. Uh, 
it left a better impression in my mouth lately, but I still wasn't a fan of it from the jump. So that's, so, that's me. So for me, I'm going to actually, I, I think last season I was definitely like C. I think we kind of did a segment kind of like this and I gave him a C. I'm going to, I'm just going to go with a B minus. And I, the reason why is because I'm glad that he is actually embracing some of the youth now. And the fact that we actually get to see like Thomasino, like Thomasino making the line, he's like 19 or 20. Okay. Like to put that in perspective, like Ellie Tovin is 22, you know, like these are some young kids. The Preds went from like one of the, one of the most, yeah. uh, one of the uh, like teams. literally, I think we were 31st or something because Pe- we had Peck and everybody now. Nah, and then we were like seventh or sixth in the league as far as average age. Brian might have that stat handy. Who knows? But that said, um, I mean, that's significant. The fact that we are able to do that, we are giving the youth the opportunity, and then we've shown that we can actually be competitive while doing it. I, I mean, we're, we're 12th in the league. Like, we're 12th in the league right now. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Like, that's phenomenal for where we're at. Like, uh, like this is a uh, competitive rebuild, uh, in quotes, you know, whatever. Like, whatever you want to call it. I, the fact that we're putting this out there, I and I said this from last season, I would rather see the youth movement come in and us not make the playoffs and have some growing pains for the on-ice product a year or two from now, like a season or two, to be better and consistently make the playoffs and maybe have a shot at the finals. Um, That said, I I feel like the development has been really good. So if this continues, then his grade is going to continually go up. But I'm going to give him a B- minus for now. So I I I think that's fair. So Brian... Yeah, uh, maybe I'm gonna. Maybe I'm just an optimist because I will say I was right there with, with you know with Matt. About, I didn't like the hire. You know, one of my things is I've, I have to get used to with hockey is that it's you know it's a closed loop as far as new guys coming in. It's it's always going to be you know somebody who just. I mean, he had just gotten fired by New Jersey, and I was like, no, this is why would you got have a guy who just got fired? You know. But considering what he walked into and the roster turnover that he's seeing, because this is not the same team that he came into, um, he he has had to, you know, he has Ryan Johansson, he has Matt Duchesne, he's got guys that, you know, he had to deal, you know, with a little bit of what was left with the tourist experiment and things like that. Yeah, I, I I'm going to give him a B B or B plus because. He walked into a situation with that with a team that is just kind of underachieving consistently at that point. You know, a goaltender which you know they knew they had a lot of faith in UC Soros, but you don't know what you're going to get once uh, a guy like Pecorino leaves. Um, and to take a team that with Pecorino now, I think they are now, according to Elite Prospects, the seventh youngest team. The average age is 26. There we go. Uh, you know, he's it. he's working with a lot, and you know, I think the biggest thing I think really that 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 impresses me with him is that. He's gotten these players to get the Laviolette out of them. Um, again, you have to all credit to Laviolette for building this team and making it what it is now. But we're starting to see some of those bad habits, you know, go away. And and he stayed with it. And he's, you know, he doesn't have the personnel probably control as much as as in other places they, that he might. But you know, he he's giving guys a chance. He's you know, you don't see him putting guys in the doghouse like like Laviolette did with with Turris and things like that, or Ryan Hartman, which I'm still angry about. Um, you know, I, I I like what he's done. The 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 players love him, but I think I, we were told that when he was hired that he's a player's coach. Um, but you know, I think that what he's able to do and the fact that this team is 12th in the league right now, even if it doesn't finish that way, that they're even somewhere 
remotely competitive is, is a surprise to me because I'd kind of written this season off as kind of a get the young guys time and, you know, finish sixth in the central and, and look towards next year. And, and I, do, I think they're a little bit better than that. It's okay. Uh, maybe one day you'll get Colin Blackwell back. Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's rough. Him or yarn croak or Hartman, whatever. Yeah. They're all going to the wild eventually. Yeah, I know it's, it's uh, a credit for, you know, GMDP. He built basically the first and third, you know, place division teams. So uh, it just is what it that's is. Right. <laughs> um, so one comment though, for Matt, uh, and I will just point this out there cause I just happen to remember it off the top of my head is your boy Taylor Hall had glowing reviews though of Heinz. Yeah, I do you remember that. that? Yeah, I do. So I remember that conversation where where Taylor Hall basically said that he was the best coach he had ever played under. And that was surprising because you're like, it's the Devils. Like, I mean, did you see their record? I mean, it was pretty terrible. He doesn't really have a good track record. But the funny part is you have a star player and he did say he was one of the best players he's played under or coaches he's played under. So that said, um, you know, I, I'm just going to take that for what it is and, and hope that the grade keeps going up. Like I said, and I, I think I was very bullish too on the hire because I think there wasn't really a lot of candidates out there at that time too. And, and as Brian said, it's a very closed knit circle. I mean, I like you only have a few other options. And at the time there was like none because it was yeah. mid season. So that said, I, I, you know, I was pretty, pretty down on on the hire to begin with. So his grade has continually improved, which is a great sign. But you know, I'm just going to take it for Taylor Hall. He knows better than me, right, Kyle? Yes, he does. Well, Brian, we want to thank you so much for joining us. We definitely enjoyed it. Um, anytime you want to come back, just let us know, man. Oh gosh, thank you. That means a lot to me. It's again, I'm still. I thought maybe I'd get better at, but you know, by the time we were done. But I'm still just in awe that I'm doing this with you guys. <laughs> and before we let you go. Where can people find you on Twitter and the Forecheck at? All right. Yeah. So on the Forecheck, you'll see, uh, you can see my stuff there. Um, also with, you know, been working with, uh, with Charlie Sonier, Renegades of Puck. And that's, you know, that's the Twitter handle as well. And then you can find me on Twitter tweeting about hockey or just a wide variety of other useless things at Brian Baston. Um, yeah. And you want to reach out. I'm always, I'm always very willing to talk and, and, you know, teach and things like that, whatever little bit I know how to, to teach at least. Cause that's how I got started was listening to guys like you and people being willing to help. So please reach out anytime. Brian, there's no need to gush. We are not Roman Yossi sitting in sweats in Switzerland <laughs> answering your, 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 you know, question there. So it's perfectly fine. You're definitely one of us now, man. <laughs> well, I'll say this. It's, you guys are, are much higher up on the limit than when, you know, I'm sitting down and talking to, well, I'm not going to say names. I'm trying to be nicer, but just you yeah, know, certain yeah. players that, I, that we get a chance to talk to every once in a while. So you guys are up there. Maybe not Yossi, sure, but who is? Who, yeah, I mean, but, like, come on, look at You're him. up there. Hi, Brian. Well, thank you so much, and we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks a lot. And real quick, we'd be remiss if we didn't touch on some league news. Vancouver's having some struggles. We don't know if GM Bennett's going to be around. Canucks have just been terrible. Matt, like I said earlier in the episode... <laughs> Um, Elias Pedersen is kind of fell off the map. And Wait, man, he's wearing the Pedersen jersey. Wearing Pedersen too jersey. I got to give him some love. I knew you guys were going to come in ragging on him, so I had to give him a little bit of love. He's my boy. Well, what's going on, man? What's going uh, on? Yeah, they're surprisingly bad, and that's that's everybody says the same thing. That's not a shocker. We're all on the same page here, and we don't have a good answer why. So uh, the GM and the coach, I think, had some time off. They had a couple meetings, a closed door meetings, but nothing came of it yet. So don't know. Like I said on the way over here. They should at least be realistic like Arizona is. No, they're going to suck and just go through it and get some picks in the draft. 
My whole thing, though, is is it their power play, too? Like, their power play used to be clicking, man. Like, well, it was yeah. dangerous. Like, I think it was a couple years ago. It was like 20, 30, 25, yeah. 30%. What, where are they yeah. this year? I, 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 I know their PK is dead last in the league at 60-something percent. Oh, man. Yeah, we were watching the game. I guess it was last night, and it was, uh, yeah, some of their stats were pretty bad. Yeah, um, they lost their fifth in a row to the Avalanche, so good for them. Then you flick over the Ducks real quick. GM Bob Murray resigned. He's in an alcohol abuse program. It seems to be with the things that have been going on in the league, the team took the proactive step and just said, you know what? Uh, people got some complaints against you. You've been verbally abusive. So they kind of just showed him the door and uh, he's on now in the, uh, like I said, an alcohol abuse program. Yeah, I'm sure we won't uh, go into too much detail on it, but I will say uh, it was nice that this seemed to uh, be taken care of uh, fairly quickly this time, as opposed to some other situations around the league. So it seems like maybe uh, the league as a whole are learning from their mistakes and maybe handling it a little better. Yeah, brutal year for GMs right now, um, but this was definitely handled diplomatically. I felt like it's just very clean cut. It's done. Okay, it was bad. And he's going to get help too. Like the important I, very, thing. This, very, yeah, I mean, that, like at the end of the day, this is <laughs> this is where we want to go in the league with things, you know. Like uh, it's just just kind of interesting how well they handled this compared to um, you know some other organizations that aren't going to be named who turned to look the other way. But it's whatever. And Matt, the most controversial take I could find in our league news this week, oh man, uh, was you know everyone's favorite uh, Columbus coach Torts basically said Connor McDavid. Needs to change his game if they're going to make it past the second round of the playoffs. That, that is a hot take. That's a hot. That one. is a very hot take. I don't. I don't know if it's because he's you know he's on TV now. And he's you know viewers like those hot takes. I don't know what. Have you not seen any of his post game press? I, I know he's, he's a, a he's hot a, take. He's machine, a hot take machine. Baby. But I, yeah, that, that's that was Bain. that, that was Bain special right scorching there. hot. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, like even that's a little too hot for yeah. me. Yeah, uh, yeah. He actually talked about that. Ovi had a quote change his game, get past the second round. And he believes that if McDavid changes the game and get past the second round, they're guaranteed to get a cup. No, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. But this is a coach I, who's won a Stanley Cup. But my cup. thing is like, yeah, what, it's a good rebuttal, but what, what is McDavid going to do differently? Like, is he going to be that good defensively? You know, you know what I mean? Like McDavid's is such a yeah. high offensive upside that like him scaling it back to be more defensive and that defensive side not be as good as his offensive side. Yeah, you see what I mean? Like, exactly. I, I don't think there's a balance. Like, at, like he's he's born to score. Let yeah. him do like, that. Like he said in that post game presser, you know, he was born to do those those big plays and make the big goals. And and by God, that's what he's going to do. And then so, go get actual defense. I'm sorry, he's the sixth <laughs> fastest player to get 600 points in league history. Uh, faster than Crosby and somebody else at the bottom of my notes that I hadn't looked yeah, up. Yeah, he's like on pace for like like Brent Hull level. Of so like, if anything unreal. needs to change, it it for sure isn't is not McDavid. Uh, and, and in fact, I, somebody was mentioning how uh, the Oilers have had really low capacity in the span in the uh, audience. Uh, the fans aren't coming to the games lately, and they're saying, you know, he's been kind of having a reputation for kind of crying about not getting calls, and that's kind of controversial because there was a presser today where he was asked about, uh, do you think you're not getting enough calls against you? And he was like, well, you know, I'd probably just need to uh, be quiet about it because he's getting so much so much heat from it that the, the conspiracy theory is that all the refs are getting together and intentionally not calling stuff against him because he's crying too much about it. But the point this guy was making was that if you want to see the league grow, I forget who said it, I can't remember off the top of my head, 
Uh, he said, if you want to see the league grow, you need your superstars to to be able to perform. And if they're getting slashed and hammered and getting penalized or getting hurt all game and not getting calls against them, he doesn't have an opportunity to go on the power play and succeed. So if you want to get fans in the arena, you want your superstars to be able to perform. You don't want them to be getting hurt and getting cross-checked with no calls and stuff. So, Well, speaking of McDavid and Ovi, what about that Twitter poll that you put up? That's right. That's Boom. right, Kyle. Get wrecked. I put it on <laughs> I Twitter. Did. I got wrecked. Hey, let me let me pull up the stat. I got it written down here. That's right. We last episode debated who was better, Connor McDavid or Alexander Ovechkin. Let me tell you, the fans spoke. Connor McDavid garnered 63% of the vote to Ovechkin's 37%. Uh, how did you wear the question, though? I can't remember. Was it who's the better player? Who's the better player? Okay. Well, I, I agree. left it pretty blank. I agree with that argument. Well, good. I agree he's the better player. Well, good. Because remember, I, I actually said he's the better player looking at it, but I mean, goal scored, no. But Matt, how do you feel about Merzlikens pads? Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's a hot take too. Uh, a lot of people like them. I, I wanted to save it. I didn't want to talk about it uh, you know, in text messages. I wanted to get you guys' take on air because I think they're ugly as sin. <laughs> I think they're ugly too. I don't, but, I don't uh, really like them. Yeah. Everybody else seems to love them. I've seen a lot of goalies. Like, it doesn't uh, go as, as good as like Saros's gold pads for some reason. Yeah. I really like it's, his gold pads. It's an off color. Like it's know. bright. I like bright colors, but it kind of gives me the Papa Smurf vibe and uh, I'm just not feeling it. I don't know. I took a look at it and my first thought was, why is he wearing Titans colors? Like that yeah, baby, I, that baby blue. It just, it just seemed, do you have a picture? Oh, let's pull it up. Let's pull it up. I want to see it yeah. again. They Smurf pads. I don't know. Like it's one of those, like I've been enjoying some of the pads here. Ooh, yeah. yeah uh, see, the thing like is, that. the thing I don't like about it is the, it, this is so navy, and then that's so neon. Yeah, it, that at least Soros, like it's the same gold as the Preds jersey. Like you know what I mean? I if know. you're gonna wear that, it's gonna be toned down with some other contrasting I, I color. I love that in that navy. Like if he did all navy pads yeah, with that, that, would, that, look that would look great. I mean, I but don't know. Uh, you know it's that, that high highlighter neon color has been kind of in. Uh, Dallas has been doing a couple years now. Uh, this is kind of going. It's like a trend right oh, now. Uh, the game last night Kings. was it Kings? Because you didn't understand why they were wearing opposite jersey, and I said, "Hold on, it's their third jersey, and they're wearing their silver metallic buckets." Like yeah. Vegas was wearing the gold buckets. Yeah. Do you like the metallic buckets? I do, but when I see that, all I think of is the Vegas Silver Knights. See, that's what I think. I think it's like an AHL or NHL or uh, like a EHL. You know, it's. I feel like it's like a uh, um, like a a lower division team. With the metallic, because you see those flashy colors in those leagues, which I'm not like opposed to some of those flashy colors. I love some of those jerseys and logos, but it's weird seeing the metallic bug. I will say that. And I don't know if I like the silver or gold. Everyone, I'm like, how about this? How about some matte? Some matte colors would be nice. Yeah, matte. It already approves of matte with an E, yeah. but some matte colored domes would be sick like why haven't we gotten to that point yet like because no one's doing because that. we're all about gold we can't have anything yeah. else that goes away from the gold no no, no i'm gloss. talking about like a, across the league oh. somebody do a like a really cool matte colored dome for one of their third jersey that would look sweet dude you realize how many like approvals they'd have to get through that it'd be a mess well well it is what it is so and finally guys Bridgestone arena has been nominated for the 14th year in a row to be in arena of the year pretty crazy yeah. I didn't realize they had been nominated so many times. Uh, I know we've talked about it recently, but uh, I don't know if they've ever won, but yeah. Okay. okay. I, I thought they did. So, but that is, that's impressive. Everybody seems to love uh, our environment, our arena. We got a huge, uh, you know, crowd. The atmosphere in the crowd's great. I mean, anybody, you know, Nashville's a hot spot for multiple different types of events. It's just, it's just a great place to be, honestly. Yeah. They won the uh, award outright in 2014 and 2017. 
Um, You know why they won 2017. Yeah, cup run. But you also have, I I mean, you got a lot of factors in that. You got got all the concerts in Asheville, too. And they've continually upgraded the arena. You know what I mean? That's one thing I appreciate about appreciate about Bridgestone is like they have updated everything almost year after year there's some sort of upgrade going on to keep it fresh and nice like a couple years ago is the seats and then they did this concessions at one point and then they did you know bathroom it's, they did the, the netting on the stage one the, year yeah so they, they they upgraded the sound system one year like it, it's just certain things like that that it's just appreciated because sometimes these old barns they just kind of get neglected it just is what it is with some Go of the older arena, arena. Saddle Dome. Yeah. Um, so it's nice to see. But they're nominated this year with the BOK Center. It's Bridgestone, the Dickies Arena, Madison Square Garden, and the Staples Center is also on this list. So the fact that Bridgestone is competing with like MSG and also Staples Center. Top company, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy. So I'll also, FYI, sidebar, Staples Center is now not going to be Staples Center anymore. I don't know if you saw that. Crypto.com bought the naming rights for Staples Center. So... Now all the teams there are going to have a different logo. It's crazy. $700 million, by the way, to buy the naming right for that. Did they Isn't pay in Bitcoin? Probably. It was a secure transaction, let me tell you. But that said, it's just going to be weird. You know, like, it's not the Staples Arena. Like, I can't remember when it hasn't been the Staples Arena in my mind. So, like, yeah, it's the Kings like, games, any, I guess, the Lakers. Yeah. It's going to be really strange seeing that. That's going to be so weird seeing here we're live from the Crypto Center. Well, it's Crypto.com, too. Is that going to be the name of the arena? Yes. It's Crypto.com. That's a terrible name. Well, I mean, it's the name of the company. So, they just literally put, I, I would prefer Crypto Arena. But they did crypto.com arena. So even call it Bitcoin arena. I don't care. Well, that's, but this is the name of the company. It's a Singapore company, by the way. Anyway, I don't know how I remember that or knew that from some random article that I read. But yes, so one random nugget of hockey news for you. But kudos to Bridgestone Arena for killing it again. I mean, 14 years straight. That's pretty impressive. Well, guys, that's going to be a show for the day. Once again, I want to say thank you to Brian for joining us for the episode. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at Music City Gold. You can find our episodes also on iTunes at Music City Gold or on PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Until next time, guys, we will see you on the ice. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.